You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In our first lesson of the Practicing the Presence of God module, Cultivating Partnership, God promised never to leave us. Philip Edwards will examine what God meant when he said that and how he wants us to work with him. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can see all the ministries we have to offer. And please also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Okay, welcome back after our Easter break. Hope you're all refreshed and uh, ready to go. We finished last term with... um, uh, the whole story about the, the wickedness and the evil and uh, spiritual warfare. Uh, you might have felt it got a little bit heavy. Uh, well, it would do, wouldn't it? I mean, looking at that sort of stuff. So we've, we're going to go on to something a lot more positive and uh, uh, reassuring and uh, a real blessing to us, which is practicing the presence of God. How can we, uh, is there anything that we can do so we can be more conscious of his presence? I need to say also that we're starting this week. Next week there's a break uh, because of the bank holiday and so we've got a week off next week and then we'll be returning uh, in two weeks' time. Let's pray then before we look into God's word regarding this subject. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Uh, You're always pleased when we are turning to you, when we uh, focus on you, when we're looking to your word. Lord, That brings you delight and pleasure. And Father, we open up our hearts and we want you to minister to us uh, by your word this evening. Uh, Lord, uh, energise us, we pray, that we might desire to seek more of you and uh, and practice the things that we hear about. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In your notes, uh, I think I open up with... uh, an introduction, uh, but often what I do, I, I say something to introduce the introduction. So I'll tell you when we're in the notes, uh, so you can just relax uh, for this little bit as we uh, start this whole subject of practicing the presence of God. God is always present. He doesn't go anywhere. Uh, if we're not in contact with him or conscious of his presence with us, the fault doesn't lie with him, it can't. It lies with us, not that we're doing anything wrong. We sometimes haven't uh, been taught or we haven't understood how we can practice uh, being in his presence, the sort of things that we have to do. I want to first turn your attention to a verse in Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, It's in that passage is where... Um, They're writing to the seven churches and either praising them or saying that there's something wrong with the church. And uh, in chapter 3, we read about uh, the church of Laodicea. I want to just pick up on one verse there, Revelation 3 and 20. He says, here I am. He starts with just those words, Revelation 3, 20. Here I am. That's wonderful in itself. I thought, as I was just reflecting on that, whenever you pick your Bible up, day, night, whenever time it is, and you read that, he says, here I am. That's true then, isn't it? There he is. He can't put something in the Word and say, I'm here, and then not be there. 
So Christ is constantly there, always there. His presence is always available to us. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This is a very um, popular verse for evangelists. Uh, they talk about, you know, the lost and Christ is knocking at the door of uh, the lost person's heart and if they open their hearts then Christ will come in. It's fine because they're preaching out of context, aren't they? Because this is written to the church. In fact, the whole of the New Testament is written to the church. It isn't written to the lost. We use it to minister to the lost because of the truth that's in it. But all of scripture is written to us, to the believers. He's writing then to this church, Laodicea, and um, they're not doing too good. In fact, there's only a couple of the churches that they write to in this passage in Revelation that are doing any good at all. The rest, there's, uh, there's problems within the church. So what is wrong with this church in Laodicea? Well, he says, you're neither hot nor cold. And he says, you're indifferent to me. The opposite of love isn't hate, by the way, it's indifference. Uh, hate is a passion, but to be indifferent is a worse condition than that. So he says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're in fact quite indifferent to me. He says about them that they're rich, they've acquired wealth and they need nothing. You say, well, that's a good thing. Well, it would be good but it's turning them away from God. That's the whole point why they're uh, lukewarm, as it were. The church, they were wretched, he describes them as pitiful, poor, naked. And the last way he describes them as being blind. So what's the remedy then for being a blind Christian? Well, the first thing he says is open the door, I'm here. In other words, you're not fellowshipping with me. You've shut me out for some reason and I want to come in and I want to fellowship with you. Invite me to the table. Uh, if you think about this in the way he's written it, there's no place laid for him in the table. There used to be these little texts on the wall at Old Fashioned Homes, remember, uh, he's, he's there at every meal, the one who's always present, you know, the unseen guest uh, who's always there. In this particular case, there's no place set for Jesus. He's not there. He's not invited to be part of the fellowship. He says, invite me in so I can start to fellowship. I can start to relate to you. Why is it important that Jesus is fellowshipping with us all the time? He is the light of the world. When we fellowship with him, we walk in the light. We can see things that if we don't walk with him, we can't see them. So the whole idea of fellowship is to do with seeing, seeing into the spiritual realm. Jesus, when he lived, he lived in two dimensions. He lived definitely in this natural one where he depended like we did on his senses, what he saw and smelt and felt and tasted. But he also had this ability to sense things in the spirit. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. So that was in the Spirit. I only say the things that I hear my Father saying. That was in the Spirit. So when we come to Christ, 
we, we still need our senses, this ability to see in this natural world, but we have to develop the spiritual part of us that can see into this realm in the same way that Jesus saw. We know that in coming to Jesus, he opens our spiritual eyes. Part of the effect of the fall and sin was we died in that sense. We had no more connection with God. We became spiritually dead, as it were. If we fail to walk with Christ, to have Christ live with us on a continual basis and to fellowship with us, uh, we can no longer see into the spiritual world. This is what he said to the Laodicean church. He says, you're blind. You need to get ointment and put it on your eyes so you can see again. Not see naturally, but see into the spirit world. As I was reading about this, because uh, you read around things, don't you? I read about a fish, a fish that had eyes, but never saw anything. Because where he swam, it was always dark. And so he, he had eyes, but eyes that could not see, because it was always dark. There was nothing to see. And so there's a lesson in that. If we're in the dark, we're not fellowshipping with him on a continual basis, our eyesight starts to fade. We stop seeing the things that we should see. And so it's important we're fellowshipping with him all of the time. Unless we practice the presence of God, we'll become blind spiritually altogether. To be able to see into the spirit realm, we must develop this fellowship all the time with the Father and with the Son. I'm in your notes now. Okay, we're back to the introduction. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, Christians then, they have an assurance that they're constantly surrounded by the presence of God. We're constantly assured it from the word of God. It tells us that. A couple of verses there, Hebrews 13 and 5, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I think when I read about that word forsake, when Christ hung on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he tasted, as it were, what it was to be abandoned or forsaken by God. And so he, he took that upon himself so that we would not have to suffer the pain of being forsaken or left out. So we can always appreciate and know the presence of God. He's always there. We must develop that ability to meet and to be with him. And in Psalms 1, 2, 1 and verse 8, it says, The Lord will watch over you, your coming and your going, both now and forever. The truth is, and we're going to read other scriptures a bit later, you cannot walk away from his presence. You might think, I'll go and do this in the dark, when no one's watching, when no one's seeing, because there is no dark with God, it's all light and he sees everything and his presence is there all the time. In spite of these promises that he'll never leave us and he'll always be with us, um, many Christians don't always feel that. 
I've heard Christians say, God never says anything to me. And I'm thinking, why is it? Is, don't you understand how he talks? Or is it because you're not tuning in spiritually? Or are you in the dark that you're not fellowshipping with him? There could be many reasons. And as I said, the reasons or the fault never lies with God. God desires to have fellowship with us. That's why he made us. We see right in the beginning with Adam and Eve, the thing that he really cherished was to have the relationship to come and meet with them on a continual basis. And of course, once sin came, it was severed and it was broken. There was a distance between the two. If God had said something, it's impossible for God to lie. And we need to reassure ourselves with that. What can we do then to practice the presence of God more in our lives so we're more conscious of the fact that he's always there? How can we increase our sensitivity to him, enhance it, further it, improve it, the quality of knowing that he's there, walking with him? How can we understand better the sense of God's presence. Did you sense him this evening when you came? Or at home, when you were getting the meal ready? Did you sense his presence? We seem to be either he's there or he's not there. We're gonna have time with God or not have time with God. We're either in church or we're not in church. Or We seem to, to have these two worlds and we're quite happy to go where God is or where we imagine he is and we spend time with him but then we we walk away and leave him and get on with something else well you can't do that that's all you just can't leave him because wherever you go he goes with you and so somehow we've got to be able to do the rest of things in life and at the same time be conscious of his presence that's all because he's not going anywhere He's come to join you for the rest of your life. And so it's we that have to practice these things to make it possible that we're more conscious of his presence. Can the people who are not born again sense the presence of God? I said through the fall that man was cut off from God. Remember, he wasn't allowed to be in the garden where God was. But I do think that unregenerate people, sometimes they do sense his presence, but they don't know it's his presence. I think at times when there is a lot of emotion that's at work, and maybe they think, well, it's just an emotion at a funeral. I think sometimes the unregenerate have a sensitivity to there's something here at a wedding or a great celebration, at the birth of a child or something. It's as though these are, these are very unique times when people, you could say, oh, well, they're just overawed with it or it's emotion. Hmm. I tend to think there's something of the presence of God there. I would never miss an opportunity to share the gospel at a funeral. Uh, not that I want to drive anyone mad, but I just think there's a sensitivity to things and God is, is taking the opportunity to connect at those particular times. Before we can, though, regularly practice the presence of God, we have to be born again. We have to uh, receive what Christ has done for us so that which Adam undid, as it were, 
Christ has made it all right. And that's what brings us back into this opportunity for continual fellowship with him. Adam's sin, as I said, cut us off from God's fellowship, that continual fellowship. And Christ restored that fellowship with his death and his resurrection. So we've come to Christ. We've made the decision that we want Christ to enter into our lives. Maybe people come to Christ and they didn't realise that. They realised that they were a sinner and cut off from God and they were offered salvation. And they said, yes, I, will, I would like this salvation. I would like to be uh, saved. I would like to receive Christ. Perhaps they didn't realise that the Spirit of God then entered into them. Maybe as they were told later, they said, this is what happened to you. His Spirit entered into you. He himself, the Holy Spirit, brought the presence of Christ and the presence of God into your very life. And he doesn't leave you, ever. I see. So we say things that make it sound like we leave him or he leaves us. <coughs> Let's pray for God's presence to come. What does that mean? Uh, if we go on a journey, we pray that God would come with us. He's got no choice. He's got to come. If you got in the car, he gets in the car. Okay, it's just the way that it is. So I would, I would encourage you not to use that sort of language that, that makes you think we are, we are going to him or we're coming away from him. I, I understand generally, but when we speak like this, other people listen to what we say and they pick up that we can be in God's presence or away from his presence. And you might even believe yourself, um, I'm not there now. I, I was there, but now I'm not there. That's not true. And so with our understanding, the first thing is to realise he's always constantly with us, all the time. So all we need to do is be able to tune into that. We decide to let God into our lives, but the truth is nothing can keep him out. You see? When you receive Christ as your saviour, he didn't say, oh, can I come in? By accepting Christ as your saviour, he just came in. Because you didn't realise it, but that's what he wanted to do. Come in and dwell with you. Be intimate with you in that way. Such is his desire for fellowship with us. Uh, we're not always so passionate about our fellowship with him. But he always wants to fellowship with us. That's his desire. Remember the overriding desire of God? It is to be our God and we would be his people, and he would dwell in the midst of us. It's there throughout scripture from beginning to end. Many times it's recorded for us. Once he lives in us then, we're ready to begin this exercise, these practices of the things that we can do, so we become more conscious of him all the time and more aware of his indwelling presence. The title gives it away, Practicing the Presence. Mm, Going to take practice, you see. It just doesn't drop on us. In fact, I've discovered that most things in this Christian life don't just drop on us. They take some work and effort and discipline. 
We have to pull ourselves away from the world. We have to deal with our own fallen nature within us. We have to resist the enemy because these three areas are working against us all the time to, to pin us back, to hold us down, to rob us of relationship, all of these things. And so it's constantly pushing against them and breaking free of them and having our mind renewed to the fact and the truth of what it's really all about. How do we become more aware then of his indwelling presence? The first practice that I've called this, uh, there'll be 15 in all by the time we finish the course. I think we get through two or three tonight. Anyway, so we'll start with this first one. I've called it Good Morning Lord. Just as simple as that. Our first thoughts upon waking ought to be of the Lord. That's it. And you go, well, let's have my first cup of coffee. Let's stagger around and do whatever we do. And then I'll get round to doing this. Or uh, I, I'm not very good at quiet times, you say, in the morning. So, uh, you know, I'll just get into the day and then, mm, I'm not going to advise that. You don't have to do anything. Just wake up, you see, and say, good morning, Lord. You say, what well, nonsense. How silly. Well, I don't think it's silly. I think if you start to practice these things, it doesn't take long before practice becomes what you do. So I've practiced it for quite a while. Uh, sometimes I used to do it and then I forget about it and then I'd do it and forget about it. Because you keep coming back to practice and now every morning I wake up and say, good morning, Lord. Before I move, think of anything, do anything, because once you start on the day, it's there in front of you. It, you can't stop. It moves on and moves on and moves on. And, and God gets pushed more and more aside. And you go through half of the day and you haven't even given him a thought. So before you even get out of bed, while you're still sort of waking up, just, good morning, Lord. Good morning, Lord. See, so you don't know what the day's going to bring. I would recommend you always start it with him. Always. I'm not asking you to do a lot. Just acknowledge his presence at the start of a day. He has something about being number one, you know. He doesn't ever play number two or further down the line. He's number one. You should have nothing before me, he says. No, he says about no other gods, but he means nothing. The first fruits are for him. The first of everything is for him. Sunday morning is the first day of the week. We go to church. The first day, we give the first of everything to him. And so we give him those, just those few moments where we acknowledge his presence. To be, thought, to be thoughtful of him at the start of the day. It will help. It'll get your mind on the right track. I want to read you now a, a fairly lengthy passage. It's Psalm 139. It touches on some of this and... Uh, if you have your Bibles, just turn to it. 139, I'm going to read about 18 verses. They're well worth reading because they get your whole mind thinking uh, about the presence of God and God's closeness to you, his intimacy to you, and how he is much involved in your life. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Almost every sentence of this, you could ponder on it for, for quite a while, he knows you. 
In fact, he knows you better than you know you because you lie to yourself about you where he knows the truth. He just, he knows what's those inner thoughts that you have. Oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. <coughs> you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. It's intense, isn't it? Every movement you make, God knows all the time. He's so conscious of your presence. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. O oh Lord, you hem me in behind and before. And you've laid your hand upon me. So he's in front of you, he's behind you, and he's on top of you. You can't move. He's there. Constantly. Such knowledge is too wonderful, he says, for me. Too lofty, <coughs> sorry, for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? It begs an answer, and we know the answer. Nowhere. There's nowhere you can go. Where can I flee from your presence? We know the answer to that one. There is nowhere you can run to. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the seas, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand. <coughs> I'm going to ask if someone can just get me <coughs> some more. I, this is very rare for me. Okay. Thank you. Will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become light around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. We mentioned this a little bit earlier. There is no darkness. God sees everything. It never, there's never anything in the shade. And yet most criminal activity is between the hours of darkness. And it says evil people prefer, thank you very much, evil people prefer the darkness to the light. Thank you. For you created my inmost being, it says. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I am still with you. It's just great to meditate on passages like that. that so, it's like we feel so hemmed in, just so close. It's so precious. He's so there and... Uh, he knows everything about us. And we're hard on ourselves sometimes. We can be critical about ourselves. But he loves us. He knows so much. Every morning then, 
you wake to a God like that. A God who cares, who knows so much. Apparently those who study the effects of thought upon our personality, they tell us our last thought at night and the first thought in the morning greatly influences the quality of our activity and our sleep. We're going to get to this about when you go to bed at night. Think about him. Think about him. Think about a scripture. Think about a verse of scripture. Think about something. So you can go to bed with all the troubles of the day. Don't do that. It takes practice. I understand that. Because problem things want to rush in at us all the time. But we mustn't let them. We must determine to practice what he's called us to do. So, we're staying with the morning. Good morning, Lord. You say that sounds a bit silly, a bit sentimental, a bit nonsense. Okay, well, if it's nonsense, that's fine. But do it. Do it, whatever. Whatever way you want to wrap it up. As you wake in the morning, don't get out of bed. Don't move. Don't do anything. Just think about him for a moment. Start there. That's the first thing we can do to practice. In this course, there'll be several people that I'll quote to you, and uh, two of them that crop up all the time is one called Brother Lawrence, uh, practiced in the presence. He lived between 1614 and 1691. Uh, he didn't write anything really, he just kept a diary, and other people wrote about the things that he said, but we'll, we'll talk more about him lately, the, uh, later. Another man is called Frank Leboch. Uh, he lived between 1884 and 1970. Listen to what Frank said about Good Morning God. He said this, I determined not to get out of bed until the mind set. That concentration about, upon God is settled. It also required determination to keep it there. After a while, perhaps, it will become a habit and the sense of effort will grow less. It does, I'll guarantee it. As you practice things, what is a challenge at first, like everything, just becomes part of the routine of our lives. So I've started you off with a nice simple one, yeah? Okay, okay. Whatever method you use, just focus your first thoughts on him. It will mean that you're turning away from being self-conscious to God-conscious. Because your other thoughts will just be all that you've got to do, what you don't want to do, where you have to go, people you don't want to meet, all those sorts of things. They will just come as you think about the day. Don't, don't allow yourself to do that. Just focus on him and start there. I want to talk about not having an expectation for God to speak to you. There could be a whole spirit of not expecting God to speak. An attack, as it were, from the enemy. We don't think that God would speak to us, that God would get involved in all the mundane things of our life and, and involve himself with us. I assure you he does. I'm surprised that he does. Everything that we bring to him, 
he's interested in. He wants to know. He wants to commune with us. It's nothing for him to talk to you 24 hours a day. You say, isn't he busy talking to other people? No, no, somehow he can talk to you for 24 hours a day and the rest of the population of the world, he can speak to them for 24 hours a day. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. And so there aren't issues that they're not important to God. I showed you how much he loves you and how much he thinks about you. So everything to him, if it's important to you, it's important to him. You needn't tell him what colour socks you want to put on in the morning because that's not important to me either, as long as they sort of match the trousers that I'm wearing or they're not a ridiculous, silly colour. Um, but, I mean, obviously they're sensible about that. So, but, but there are many, many, many things that we are concerned about. And he wants us simply to talk to him about it. So we must not be cowed down, as it were, with this attitude of we have no expectation for God to do this. We must expect it. Otherwise, we just seem to muddle through the day, somehow getting through it. The same spirit affects some churches. They don't believe that God is going to speak at church, that he's not going to communicate that's the most important thing about going to church, isn't it? I mean, it's lovely to meet our friends and have fellowship and all those sorts of things and to hear a good word and to, and to worship God in the song. But don't we want to meet with God? That should be there, up there, every time. I expect you to meet with you in the singing or meet with you as the word is preached or meet with you as I meet other people. And, and so as we, as we have an expectation and a desire and a willingness and an openness, soon... It starts to happen when we don't expect it. It doesn't happen. There has to be this openness, this readiness to meet with him all the time in many, many, many different ways. People go to church expecting little and they get little. They don't expect to hear from God or see God, so they don't. See, the problem is never with him. It'll always rest with us. The first step then in experiencing a spirit, profit, uh, a, a profitable day with God and with the spirit is to expect a profitable day. Did God speak to you today? Did God say anything to you? Did he fellowship with you? You say, well, hmm, not sure. A lot of it is to just expect him to do it. Expect him to be involved in every decision that you have to make. Expect him to change your mind about things, to do things differently. Have that expectation. Such people who don't expect anything, they perhaps think it's inconceivable that God would even want to speak to them. He would want to guide them through the day. He would want to reveal himself to him in a fresh way. God has so much about himself, he wants to show you, he does. He wants to show you things visibly, he wants to speak to you, he wants to broaden your horizon about who he is, he wants you to understand him. He wants to be your God and he wants you to be his people and he wants to fellowship and commune. What on earth did God and Adam speak about every day? And we don't know how, for how many years or decades they were speaking for. Could have been a long time. God would speak about anything and everything. 
to broaden our understanding, to broaden our knowledge of things. God wants to do this. It says in John 14 and 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we'll make our home with him. These verses of Scripture must really start to mean something to us. I want this, God. I want you to set up home with me. I don't want to visit you or have you visit me. I want to live permanently with you. We must learn to live with the expectations of God's intervention in our lives. Hmm. I remember getting sermons ready, maybe working on it for two or three or four days and thinking, I've got it. And then I'd wake up on Sunday morning and God would say, no, that's not it. I've got something else. I'll say, God, don't do that to me. Please don't do that to me. I've worked hard at this one. Well, my, you know. And he says, well, I'm just changing it. I just got something different, you know. And then I knew, I knew, you see, I knew that it would be no good getting up and giving the one that I'd done because that's not what he wanted. So, but then I also knew if he did it at the last minute, he would have to give it to me at the last minute. He couldn't say, you know, well, you, you ain't got it right, tough, mate, just like, because I had to stand there and have it ready. And God would do it. So there is an element of the unexpected with God. You know, he'll cause you to bump into somebody you haven't seen for a long time. And you're quite relaxed with a situation that you haven't seen them for a long time. You understand what I'm saying? And they're there, they're in front of you, the unexpected. You see, if when you woke that morning, you had given God a little bit of consideration and time, you might have known about that. He doesn't want to do things secretly. He wants to reveal things to us. Like Jesus said, I do the things I see my father doing and I say what I hear him say. We need to push towards that if it's possible. Just one more verse then before we have our break. It's in Psalm 5 and verse 3. It says, In the morning, O Lord, I hear your voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and I wait in expectation. That's it. So that's number one. In the morning, we're going to have expectation. We want God to speak, but we have to practice it. Okay, we'll have a break then. We'll come back and look at a couple more after the break. Thank you. Okay, welcome back. Um, I want to deal with two more um, practices in this session. The first is to cultivate a closeness to God. You're going to say, well, they all sound about the same, but they are definitely uh, different practices. One of the greatest ways to promote this is to have what is technically known as a quiet time. It doesn't have to be quiet, it could be quite noisy, but the idea is that time is set aside on a daily basis, or what is convenient for you. There's no hard and fast rules, but you actually set time aside, your own time, to spend time with God. Some people struggle to do this, uh, I don't know, because their lives, uh, 
children, all these sorts of things, commitments, maybe they're on shifts and things move around in the day. So for other people, it's very easy to set the time aside and to give that time. Other times, it's, it's a lot more difficult finding the time or finding the space to do it. The wonderful thing is we saw, we saw from that reading in Psalms how much God knows us. He knows us better than ourselves. Sometimes I set myself something to do and I know I can't do it. I know I'm not going to manage that. And I just hear God laughing now when I say I'm going to do such and such a thing because he goes, no, you're not. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I mean, if you can't get to this age and not know what you can and can't do, you haven't been looking at yourself for a while. Uh, so I know what my capabilities are. To set a time every day when I would sit and do this, that's not possible for me. It's just not. And so for me, it would have to be a movable thing, uh, but I would need to find time to be quiet with God and, and, and give myself to that. He's waiting for us. We saw that in the verse, didn't we? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's waiting to come in. He's waiting uh, to have fellowship with us. He's waiting to relate to us. So whenever it works out for us, it works out for him. Sounds a bit arrogant, doesn't it? As though we've put ourselves in the driving seat. But see, God is capable of meeting all people at all times. So he can be flexible with us and be gracious with us. I read a story about a lady called Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of John Wesley, John and Charles Wesley. Uh, she had 19 children in all. Now in those days they did have a lot. I think she came from a family of 25 children but she had she had 19. Uh, I think nine of them died in childhood so she ended up with 10 children and uh, she home educated all of them. She was very committed to her children um, but she found it you can imagine almost impossible to have quiet time with so many children at so many different stages and ages and organising them and their education and everything. And she had this practice that when everything got a bit too much for her, she would sit down and take her apron and put it over her head. And all the children would know, mum's having a quiet time. And she would just take these moments to pray and she sort of trained her kids to do that, which is sort of a good illustration. And she's quite renowned for being a woman of prayer and bringing her children up in the way that God would appreciate that. We all need to develop our own individual relationship with God. Your relationship with God is different from everyone else's. It's about you. It's about who you are as a person. And so God wants to develop that with you. And it's a very personal thing. If we can fix time and place and make it regular, it becomes a discipline in our lives. If we can't, then we lose it from time to time and we just have to claw back the ground. In the same way, we could say that our bodies need nourishment and food. Our spiritual band needs that same nourishment and food. Give us this day, we say, our daily bread. And so that bread is the bread of the Spirit of God as well. We need to have at least that daily time with him. 
Jesus lived with certain disciplines and habits in his life. Three of them we read about. He gave himself to reading the scriptures. He gave himself to spending time in prayer and also of talking to others about the things of God. It says in uh, Luke 4 and 16 regarding the scriptures, it says he went into the synagogue as it was his custom and he stood up to read. Every Sabbath day, if possible, he would go to the synagogue and maybe at other times as well. And in the synagogue, there was the reading of the scriptures. One church that I visit, uh, the different ones on the Sunday, they're really into this reading of the scriptures. So they usually have two or three people who would get up on a Sunday and read a big passage of scripture. It could be a chapter or a chapter and a half. It's as though the minister in that church, it says this is important that we hear the word of God because so many people are not hearing it or not reading it and because it's the word of God that has to get into us that brings about the changes. So he went into the synagogue as it was his custom and he stood and read. And then in prayer in Luke 22 and 39, it says Jesus went as was usual to the Mount of Olives. Jesus went usual, as it was usual, to a place of prayer, a place of quietness, a place of meditation, a place where he could fellowship with God away from everybody else and sharing with others. It says in Mark 10 and 1, as it was his custom, he taught them. Do you like talking with people about the things of God? Not arguing, just sharing things, just sharing testimonies or uh, ways in which God has, has spoken to you or as you're trying to work some stuff out, we should be able to do that with somebody, meeting with somebody and just able to do that things. We can chat on for hours about all sorts of stuff, can't we? Um, I talk most when I'm talking about the scriptures in my, um, my dear wife says to me, can't you speak about anything else? Well, um, so I, I need to balance my life up perhaps a little bit. You know, she says, you only come alive when you're talking about you know, Jesus or the Bible or something. And so I, I need to work on that. I realise that. And, uh, um, but you know, we should spend time just mulling over some of this stuff and just asking some questions. And you might not come out with any answers, but it's good to, you know, like we were talking about that issue this evening is just to ask these questions to talk about things. There's no fixed rules then to a quiet time, just that we have it and we're individual. A time of prayer or a time of contemplation, a time of being quiet with God, allowing God to speak to us. I could give you some suggestions. It's always good to have the Word of God with you and you might want to start there. Just start. I, I never read a lot if I'm sitting like that. I just read a small part and then maybe ask the question, God, do you want to say anything to me from this? And I might read until he says something. Or I think, oh, I never saw that before. And then I'll start to look into that particular thing and ask questions about it. So God can speak directly to us from the scriptures. We might talk to him about the things uh, that are on our mind. Not necessarily just the things that trouble you, just the things you'd like to talk about. 
positive things, negative things, just to talk to him. Always good to spend time praying in tongues, to practice that on a daily basis. If your mind wanders when you're praying, go where it goes. Let it wander. How else can God get you to pray for something until he, it, you've got your little list, you know what I mean, and who you're going to pray for, and God says, well, I want to go here. I want to talk about this person. And as we talk about this person, what happens, it's not us telling God what we want God to do, but once we're talking to him, he can talk to us about that situation. And so it's a question of listening and talking, listening and talking. I very seldom know the solutions to life's problems. And my little problems, I don't even know the solutions to them. When I look at my sons or their wives or their children and all the things that pertain to life and that, we just mull, mull it over with God, let God speak. You don't have to come up with answers there and then. My experience is he never says very much at all when I talk to him and ask him something. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't like answer me. But then through the day or the next day, or some other time, often with me, it's as I'm waking in the morning, that's when God spoke, speaks to me the most. It, it's, it's just thrilling. It's just like I'm in between sleep and wake, and I get this avalanche of thoughts and ideas, and then I have to filter through them. So God might just speak through the day. What do I mean when I say God speaks? Does he say anything? Well, not audibly. I think once I heard the audible voice of God and he said one word, well, two words, twice, that's all he said to me. So, so but we're not dependent on that. We're not listening to the audible. We want God as spirit and we're spirit and he's made our spirits alive and he lives in our spirit. So it's spirit to spirit conversation. We hear God say something to our spirit and when he says it, we know it's God. Now, at first, we practice all of this, hearing God speak into our hearts. It has to be quiet, though, often, to hear him, giving him the space and the quietness of our own life that we can hear what he's saying to us. We must set that time aside, then, at least every day if possible. If not, keep coming back to it. Keep coming back to it so we have this time where we can just be quiet with him, listen to him, talk to him, and have him talk to us. The third thing I want to talk about this evening is cultivating a partnership with God. See yourself as being in partnership with him. Think of your responsibilities as his responsibilities shared with you. Being in partnership with him. You never have to do anything alone, ever. God is that interested. He wants to partnership with you in everything in life. Talk to God about the issues of the day what you're going to do. As though you were like a business partner, an advisor, a consultant. He is. 
I had a job uh, on Saturday. We went to visit this uh, elderly lady in London and um, she wanted a, a saucepan stand. So I'm trying to make it as down to earth as I possibly can. And so we went and bought this saucepan stand for her. And of course, you get it out of the flat box and you've got to make it. I couldn't give it to this 80-year-old lady, not made up, could I really? I mean, that would have been ridiculous. So as I'm making it, um, I'm noticing where I have to put the screws in. The screw has been welded to a ring with this, okay, the screw, and I noticed it's bent. Uh, and I'm thinking, this isn't going to go in. So I'm talking to God. I said, God, we've got to get this right. We've got to get this right. We've got to get it right, you see, not me. Uh, and you've got to show me what I've got to do. You've got to, you've got to give me the wisdom to do this because me, I'll just get on with it. And then you, you only cross a thread once and it's wrecked, isn't it? You can't afford to do that. And so I've just learned over the years to just talk to him about everything, just everything. See, because he's, to me now, he's always there. He's ever present. So why wouldn't I talk to him? You could say, well, you could talk to Daphne. Not about saucepans and screws and things. No, I've talked that. But God talks about everything. There isn't anything that's outside of his scope. And so I've got myself into the practice of just talking to him. If I sit down to write a letter, I say, Lord, can you help me with this? Because I just need to get it right and... And he doesn't help me with the spellings, that's something else, that's useless, okay. But just the words and the forming of it and everything, help me, Lord, help me to do this. We're a partnership, me and you, all the time. What shall we do with this matter? I've got a meeting coming up soon. I've got to bring two, two churches together in this meeting. It's an impossible task. Impossible. I can't do it. Uh, very few people can do it. But God knows what I should say, how I should say it, how I should form the meeting, how far to go with my suggestions or what to hold back. But to be open, but not to be dishonest, but sometimes to hold things back in reserve. And so I don't know how to do it. It's too difficult for me. Help me, Lord. Show me. So even now, two weeks before the meeting's even happening, I'm talking to God all the time. Help me, help me, help me, help me. Help me to do this. Help me to understand. How can we handle this problem? How can we deal with these people? How can we do it all the time? John 15, 4 says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. I don't plan to, God. I don't plan to, to bear any fruit without you. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We've got to do it together. We've got to do it all together, all of the time. You need not go into any day alone thinking this is a challenging day. It could be challenging because you're going in it with God. So the challenge is removed. Arm in arm with God. I'll never leave you, he says. I'll never forsake you. I will always be with you. We just have to practice it. That's it. Just practice it. It's as simple as that. I'm not telling you anything that you think, 
I, I disagree with that. You can't because it's there. You know the scriptures only too well. Some might say, you should perhaps do what you can do, and then when you can't do any more, ask God to help you. I'm not quite sure. Why might people say that? Well, people might say, well, you don't want to be over-dependent on God. Uh, God might prevent our, doing that might prevent our development. God wants us to develop on our own, to be strong and to, to work things out. We should think for ourselves and be more self-determining. That's what God wants from his children. An over-dependence on God would stop us from being creative, as it were, and you're just, just turning yourself into someone who can't think or speak or do anything. Oh, I could think and speak and do stuff, but I'd rather do it with him. Uh, he might not show me what to do or tell me what to do, but it won't because I haven't asked him or haven't invited him in. But the thing is, he does want to help. He does want to assist and be with us. This partnership with God, anyway, is not a dominating thing. God doesn't make you do anything. Not that I see. He requests us to do things. He advises us. He shows us. I think it's safe to live like this. His purpose is to guide us and not to override us. His relationship is helpful and supportive in the things that we do. He's careful not to snuff out our initiative and our creativity because he's a perfect father. Just as a perfect father would walk with a child and the child, and he said, Dad, what, Dad, Dad, he said, no, go on, go on, go on. Try it, try it. And the dad is looking all the time. And as soon as it starts to go wrong, he goes, well, try that, try that. That's God. And we're being as developing and creative as we can be because God, he does everything perfectly. Everything. In an example of that, if I have a, a message and I have messages most Sunday to preach and I say, God, what am I supposed to speak on? Because I haven't got a clue. And he, he won't give me the sermon. He'll give me a word, just one word. But that's all I need. The rest is down to me working. But then even when I'm working, I'm saying, help me with this, help me with this, to do this. So he's allowing me to be creative and to use my skills and my abilities and my initiative and all of these things. But he's working with me all the time in it. And that's what he wants to do. If he gives me the whole thing, it's not a sermon, it's a prophecy. And to be a prophet is... is well, we looked at prophecy, didn't we, some time ago? Scary old thing to do. But when God says it, you just say it and it's the end. But that's not what I do. I, I create something and God is constantly working with me all the time. Let's look at some of the qualifications of the one who is going to work with us. Because it's Christ himself, isn't it? The Spirit brings Christ into our lives. Christ was and still is because he's changeless. He's a person of immense courage. Oh. See, if you're going through something that could be fearful or difficult or you're not sure about, 
Who would you rather walk through than Jesus? He's proved how courageous he is. He wouldn't turn away from any problem or situation. But it's not a noisy courage, it's a quiet courage that he walks through it with you. I just imagine it all my time that Christ is with me, walking with me, ready to say what needs to be said, ready to do what needs to be done. He sustains my strength and my confidence just by being with him. I remember my brother was very good at working on motor cars. I was reasonable. But when my brother came on the scene, I became his assistant. You understand? Uh, because you just do that. That's what group dynamics does. If someone is more senior or knows more, all the rest of the people, no matter how much experience they have, they shut up and they support the person because that's the way it works. Working with Jesus is a bit like that. He doesn't take over, but he assists us in the whole process. And we're just listening to what he's telling us to do, listening to how he is directing us. He cares more about the needs of others than he does himself. So he's always looking out for the other person. And as we walk with him, we learn to do that as well. We learn to be like him. We listen to him. All that he does, he will want us to be successful. He never wants us to fail. Of course he doesn't. He's the big brother, isn't he? Who just walks with us all the time, looking out for our success. Can't help thinking about Pentecost. You know, when uh, Jesus said, we'll stay until Pentecost. And they were frightened, weren't they? Locked in, shows the door, everything. And as soon as the Spirit comes and Christ enters into them by the Spirit, they're out there. You can't stop them. They're bold and they're courageous and they're speaking out because Christ has come and entered into them. Christ is walking with them. Remember what Peter said as he, he went to the beautiful gate and he saw the crippled man. I love this. In Acts 3 and 6, he says, silver and gold, I haven't got anything. I haven't got what you're looking for from me. But what I have, I give you, he says. And what did he have? He had Jesus. In the name of Jesus, he says, get up. Get up. He couldn't have done that before. But now Christ has come. And so he, he moves out into that way. Well, we've explored some... Uh, three this evening. We've got 15 of these practices to work our way through. We've looked at good morning, Lord. We've looked at cultivating uh, a closeness in a quiet time with him. And we've looked at cultivating a partnership. Now, we have to practice them. They're called practicing. If we don't do them, we just carry on where we are. Often distant, not seeing, and because when we're not in fellowship, then we see even less. And instead of moving in the realm of the spirit, we're moving in the realm of the natural. Every conversation that we have with somebody, we should be listen, listening. What is the spirit of God saying when someone's talking to you? 
What are you listening for when you're speaking to someone to hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to you so you say the right things? It takes a lot of practice. Sometimes we just need to slow down a bit in life, not go so quick until we're getting used to it, and then we can speed things up a bit. But we need to practice these things. Okay, we'll end our talk there. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please come on back next week for our second lesson in the Practicing the Presence of God module. If you would like to donate to Arise Ministry, you can do so through our website at ariseministry.org.uk and you can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry a living legacy.